It seems that we don't go a single day without facing news that has us asking questions that are difficult, if not impossible, to answer. We wonder why all these bad things are happening all around us. We wonder when it will stop, or at least get better. We wonder why people do what they do, or what we can do to help. Whether we are talking about wars overseas or terror here at home, whether we are talking about foreign governments or our own, whether we are talking about safety or security or the economy or the climate, we have questions that don't have easy answers. In our gospel reading today, Jesus is once again faced with Pharisees who are seeking to pose difficult questions, questions that they hope Jesus will not be able to answer. The Pharisees see themselves as different from Jesus, better, superior. Certainly, they do not view themselves as having anything in common with him. And they aren't really interested in what he has to say. The questions are a means of discrediting him, of getting him out of the way. One of the Pharisees, an authority on the law of Moses, gives Jesus a little pop quiz. He asks Jesus to name the greatest commandment. And this doesn't mean the greatest of the Ten Commandments. No, this question wants Jesus to mull over, mull over the 613 commandments found in the Torah. And Jesus provides an answer that no one will argue with because it is part of a prayer that forms the centerpiece of every Jewish worship service. The commandment he chooses is found in Deuteronomy, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. But then Jesus adds something to this, that commandment from Leviticus that we just heard, you shall not take vengeance or hold a grudge, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Let's look at these laws because we hear them every week. We acknowledge that they are the cornerstone of our faith, and they seem simple and straightforward in theory, if not in practice. Love God with all of your body and soul and mind. What kind of love is that exactly? I'm sure someone in this pulpit has at one time or another discussed the three types of love that we find in the Bible. The eros or erotic love, the type of love between husband and wife, for example, or philios, brotherly love, commonly used with references to friendships or family relationships. But when it comes to loving God and loving one another, Matthew uses the word agape. Agape love is not a feeling not a sentiment, not an emotion. It is a love of commitment and action. It is sacrificial. It is unconditional. It is not friendly or brotherly. It is far more than that. Agape love is 24-7, full-time, all-encompassing love. And how, you might ask, are we supposed to do that? How do we love a God we cannot see or touch how do we devote our lives to that? How do we know that we are ready to do that? And one way to look at this is through the lens of reciprocity, of loving someone back because they love us first. We are all children of God. God loved us before we were born, and he loves us unconditionally 
no matter how irritating or sinful we might be. God's love, his unconditional agape love of us, is not dependent on our actions. We don't have to earn it. We don't even have to deserve it. God's grace-filled love is there for us to accept and experience all the time. We might turn our backs on God, but he is always there for us. And once we understand that and once we accept that we are indeed lovable and loved, it becomes a little easier to see how we might aspire, at least, to try and love God in the same way that he loves us. It's like when someone buys you a coffee in the drive through line at Starbucks. You can't help but feel good about yourself in the day to come, sometimes good enough to even pay it forward. Receiving love, it gives us life. So, how, so we can see how to work on loving God, but what about that other part of this commandment? What about loving our neighbor? And by neighbor, I don't just mean the person who lives next door, the person who might play their music too loud or who doesn't paint their mailbox often enough. I'm talking about some, loving someone you, don't, you really don't know, you may not even like. I'm even talking, as Jesus does back earlier in Matthew chapter 5, about loving your enemy. Because it is that type of discord, that type of animosity, that type of not loving our neighbor that has led us to where we are as a people and as a nation and as a world. It's that type of hate that has landed us where we are today. It is that type of hate that is raising those disturbing questions I talked about just a few moments ago. The questions we face right now, the problems we encounter, the huge gaps in understanding that result in struggle and discord, they aren't about politics or money or power, not at the root. The source of our strife stems from our inability to love our neighbor, to understand our neighbor, to see the world through our neighbor's eyes. This doesn't mean that we have to love or even agree with our neighbor's politics, or the way they raise their children, or that they, how they maintain their lawn. It doesn't mean that our neighbor won't ever annoy or anger us, even though we are trying to love them. Certainly Jesus was annoyed from time to time with his own disciples. He got angry, get behind me, Satan. These are Jesus' words. But he never stopped loving. He never stopped trying to understand. We are not Jesus, and many of us have stopped loving our neighbor if we ever did love them, or really loved them in the first place. And if we are honest, I think that many of us would admit we don't really want to love our neighbor especially if that neighbor doesn't agree with any of our views or hold any of our values. We might pose some questions. Why do we have to be the ones to capitulate? Why do we have to love them? And there's an easy answer to those questions. We have to love them because we are commanded to, because that is the most important commandment. We can't love God, not in a total and complete way, without loving our neighbor. Jesus linked them together. So what are we supposed to do as the world crumbles at our feet, as every news cycle brings more talk of death and destruction, of division and differences that seem too large and too unwieldy 
to even understand, let alone solve? Where do we start? When my children were young, my two daughters specifically, there was a significant amount of domestic unrest in our home. <laughs> when things got really ugly, I relegated them to the cooperation bench, which was a large bench. Well, it was large enough for about one and a half children. They had to sit squished right up next to each other. And in order to get up from the bench, they had to come up with something, anything, that they could agree on. Since they usually just wanted to get away from each other, this typically resulted in two things. First, they had to stop fighting long enough to get themselves sprung. And second, they had to have a conversation. It never took too long. They were allowed to come up with something simple. Maybe they both liked chocolate. Maybe they both wanted to go to the playground. Or sometimes something more creative. They both agreed that the cooperative bench was a really dumb idea that mom had had, and they both hated it. <laughs> but it stopped the bickering, at least temporarily. It got them talking, if only for a few precious minutes, as they tread on common ground. I'm not trying to trivialize the intense global problems that we face today. I don't think a cooperative bench is going to end an armed conflict. But common ground, looking for similarities instead of differences, looking to agree rather than to disagree, it's a place to start. We have to make a choice. We can act like Pharisees and assume that we have nothing in common and ask trick questions to try and distance ourselves. We can build higher fences around our homes and withdraw further into our social and political corners. We can allow the algorithms of the internet to determine what we read and hear and think because it is easier than loving people with whom we have nothing in common. But we do have something in common. We are all human. God made all of us. We share that common DNA, that common humanity, that common need and desire and drive for peace and safety. Like my two daughters on that bench who wanted nothing less than to sit together for even a moment, we can agree on some things if we make the decision to try. We have a choice to follow that commandment or not. We have that free will. What we do not have is the freedom to rewrite that commandment, to edit it and make it our own. Love our neighbors sometimes, or when they deserve it, or next week, or when they see things our way. Nope. God loves them all the time. It isn't a gentle, unconditionally. And we are commanded to do the same. It isn't a gentle word, it isn't suggestion, it's not a guideline. It isn't something way down on the list. It's the most important commandment. Our gospel reading tells us that. It needs to be foremost in our minds all the time, every day. Acting this way, loving God and loving neighbor, it needs to be as natural as breathing, a habit that we don't even need to think about. And how do we cultivate that habit? How do we start to love God with all our hearts and minds and strength and love our neighbors, all of our neighbors. Well, we don't do it in a vacuum. We don't do it alone. 
We cultivate that habit in community with each other to lean on for strength and encouragement. And bear in mind that may not be a community of people that think or look or act exactly like us. Rather, a community of people that are secure in their knowledge that God loves them and who have, in fact, found a way to love God. A community that has faith in common. A community that can, indeed, sit next to each other in a pew without even me forcing you to. We cultivate that love of habit with empathy, with a listening ear, with an open heart and an open mind. We cultivate it by being willing to look at a situation from a different perspective. We cultivate it with prayer. There's a prayer that comes up frequently in the daily office, the prayer for mission. When I saw it this week as I was writing the sermon, it seemed to tie in well with this idea that we all share something in common and that we all need to ask for God's help as we seek to love our neighbor. It's found at the bottom of page 100 of the Book of Common Prayer. Let's turn to that now. It's good to crack open those new prayer books. Let us pray. O God, you have made of one blood all the peoples of the earth and have sent your blessed Son to preach peace to those who are far off and to those who are near. Grant that people everywhere may seek after you and find you. Bring the nations into your fold. Pour out your spirit upon all flesh and hasten the custom of your kingdom. 